Hello, my name is Deborah Hamilton, and welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This podcast seeks to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view and disciplines. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of this podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations so that every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to your joining us on this journey toward a better understanding of similar and divergent points of view. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening first. I'm so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's get started. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and we're here today with Kathy Madsen from Preventivet. She is a behaviorist, she's a trainer, she's an all-around great person to know if you really do love pets. So Kathy, thank you so much for coming here today. I'm so glad. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Preventivet and what you do, period, because you're, you have such an interesting life. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, it's exciting to be on your podcast, especially because you were just on ours. Um, but what I do at Preventivet, I am the dog trainer and behavior consultant on staff. And so I do a lot of, of um, article writing and blog writing and Facebook lives and, and all kinds of stuff to promote all the different dog behavior um, things that people need to worry about and what they have questions about and making sure that they have the resources there easy to find. Great. So what's your favorite article that you've either written or had written or somebody submitted about animal behavior? Because, you know, why do pets matter? Because we want them to live happily with us and we want to be happy with them. Right. Well, actually, I just wrote an article about this maybe a month or two ago um, about how to teach your dogs to be alone. Um, a lot of people are always asking me, you know, what do I do with my dog who has separation anxiety? I uh, wrote an article about teaching your dogs how to be alone because a lot of my clients and people writing in would always ask, well, now my dog has separation anxiety. Um, and a lot of times when I'm working with clients, it's more about what can you do to prevent a problem rather than waiting until it's already developed and it's, it's almost impossible to fix. Instead, you have to manage it for the rest of your life. Um, so starting when dogs are young or like if you adopt a dog and it's brand new to you, getting them started off on the right routine, um, teaching them that being alone for a little bit of time is okay. Um, that's something that I'm pretty passionate about because I very much believe in the preemptive and proactive training rather than the reactive training, um, even though I do both. <laughs> but it's so much more rewarding to see a family bringing in a new dog that grows up with these routines and good behaviors rather than coming into a family that's it's frustrated and dealing with all this stuff and trying to help them fix it. Um, so it's, it's important to me that, that we do a lot of preemptive work like that. And it's so important, I think, to do the preemptive work in a way that allows you to understand it isn't that you don't know how to do it or you can't do it, but this has been found to be one of the most interesting changes in uh, animal behavior modification um, being preemptive. Tell us a little bit more about that because most people think you get the dog, you raise them as a puppy because you've done it before a million times, uh, and then, uh, as you said, 
you come up with a problem and it's so much better not to come up with a problem, but rather to think about what might happen in your situation that could create a problem. So you're there pre-puppy maybe, pre-adopt a dog and post-adopt a dog. Right. So I, I have had done this with clients before where they come to me saying, okay, our family's been talking, our kids want a dog, help us before we even get the dog. <laughs> so the first part of that preemptive planning is figuring out your lifestyle and what kind of dog will fit in with your lifestyle, um, whether it's getting them straight from the breeder at eight weeks old, or if you're willing to work with an adopted dog from a shelter, just different kinds of things, um, depending on what your lifestyle is and what you have time for. And I tell people all the time too, when you're training, train for what you want. So when you're picking out a dog, pick out a dog for your lifestyle, unless you want a project, <laughs> you know, and mostly that's usually only trainers and behavior consultants that take on the projects. But yeah, like the guy from Lucky Dog, who I love, he takes yeah. on projects. Yeah. And he has the time and the energy to do that. But if someone goes to the shelter without an idea of, of what their life is like and what bringing a dog into that will be, they're setting themselves up for a lot of frustration and they're also setting up that dog for failure. Um, and just because they, they don't realize sometimes how much work it can be. Um, I mean, it's living with a totally different species in your house. And thank God dogs are so resilient and amazing. Um, they put up with a lot from us <laughs> and they've really learned our species very well. And so it's up to us to really learn how to respect them and help them integrate into our lives. Um, so just kind of knowing the lifestyle people um, have and helping them find a good match. Um, and it's not always based in breed. Sometimes, you know, you get different variability within each breed, but just helping people take into account what they can handle. And then when they bring the dog home, also helping them understand that every dog has this transitional period where they're settling in. Um, and I think it's Patricia McConnell who talks about the three days, three weeks, three months, where, you know, three days for the dog just to kind of come out of shock of everything's different, you know, and then um, three weeks for them to really start, kind of start to understand, okay, this is where I live now. And then three months for them to really start to show their personality um, and even when I worked at a shelter as an adoptions counselor, we'd tell people, you know, up to six months for some of these dogs to show who they really are. So, you know, if they're kind of timid with you at first and not super cuddly like you wanted them to be, just give them some time. Um, let them relax a little bit. Don't overwhelm them with, you know, going to the dog park every day and socialize, socialize, socialize. You know, after 16 weeks, socialization is very different. So, so sometimes we humans make things worse by wanting to do good things for our dogs, um, but it ends up overwhelming them. So just having people kind of take a step back, analyze their life, and then think about, okay, how can I help this dog settle into their new life and our lifestyle here? And then when it comes to the training, um, a lot of people are like, well, my dog jumps on me. And I was like, okay, well, what do you want them to do instead? And so that's always my first step to get to the preemptive part. Because it's like, it's, it's hard to teach a dog not to do something, but it's easy to teach them to do something. So we have to teach them the something we want is really rewarding. So it helps the, the humans too, I think. It puts them in a different mindset and a much more positive one um, and more fun. Because it's like you get all these successes rather than constantly going, the dog's jumping on me, the dog's jumping on me. So 
So it's that preemptive, proactive and positive training rather than the frustration and, and reaction. I love the fact you use positive because that is absolutely key. I own Irish setters and I always say they're the Jerry Maguires of the dog world. They're not stupid. They just want you to show them the money. If right. you show them the money, they might do it for you pretty much almost all the time. But if they get an opportunity, usually if you compete with them anywhere, usually when you have no control in the middle of an obedience exercise, they will decide to either go point a bird um, or, you know, two seconds before the long down is done, they get up or they lay down two seconds before the sit is done because okay. they can. And it's not because they're stupid. It's because they can and they are chuckling the entire time. Yeah. So I love that you said positive reinforcement and have a sense of humor. As an animal behaviorist, how did you get here? How did you end up in this? Because, you know, why do pets matter? Well, clearly they matter a great deal to you both personally and then helping other people have really good successful relationships with them. But how did you get here? You know, well, I grew up with Rottweilers, so your whole thing about setters makes me laugh because Rotties are the same. <laughs> you ask them to do something and they're like, why? <laughs> you know? What's in it for me? Exactly. So I grew up with dogs my whole life um, and then went to college and I ended up, it was working three jobs and going to college because I was crazy and I decided, I know, I want a dog because uh, I, I, I'm not home anymore with my parents, so I miss having that dog around. So uh, I went and adopted a previously feral dog that they found in Southern Washington, um, having really no idea what I was doing, even though I thought I did, for sure. Um, so, I think that's probably what you come up against most, is that people think they know what they're doing, and then you have to be sort of the total politician and saying, yep, absolutely, that can work sometimes doesn't and that's why so there you were with a dog that you thought you could handle and yeah in there yeah, done that he, he was like satan's spawn um <laughs> he was, i love him he ended up being my soul dog um and the yeah. reason i became a trainer because it got to a point where he was door dashing all the time and and just i mean he really could could not have cared less about what i wanted he just wanted to be outside, which makes sense. He was feral until I adopted him. They think he was two or three years old when I got him. Um, and so I signed up for a training class with an amazing trainer up here in Seattle named Christine Dahl. And uh, I took the class. It was a clicker training class. I'd never heard of clicker training before, even though I had dogs. Um, and it was, it was just life-changing because the – the instant communication I had with that dog, it was like a light bulb went off over his head. And then my, I was like, oh, we can speak the same language now. And so just seeing the change in, in his and my relationship together and the respect that started to grow that wasn't based in frustration and punishment anymore, just getting so overwhelmed by the idea of him running out the door again and getting hit by a car, all the scary things having some trust built in that I, that I'd worked on with him, it really deepened our relationship. And it was something that even having grown up with a dog my whole life and feeling very close to my dogs, I'd never had that kind of relationship. Um, and so seeing that grow 
made me want to become a dog trainer. Um, so I uh, went and got certified through Animal Behavior College and then worked through my hours and requirements for the certification of professional dog trainers um, certification. And then I just got the behavior consultant certification through them as well. And then also um, Fear Free. I'm a Fear Free professional, which I love that program um, and the change it's doing. So, but over the years, I've, I've just worked with one teaching group classes, which has always been super fun because that's, I think, what everyone signs up for first. They're kind of like, okay, I got this new puppy or I adopted this new dog. I should go get the basics done. And having people come in, knowing that they need to learn the basics gives me a way to then introduce them to the idea of everything else beyond the basics, you know, just your life with this dog is more than just teaching it to sit when you right. ask where to come when you call right exactly yeah and and they're going to have better success with those things if they build the relationship too yeah um, and so getting to share that with people and then um, i started to specialize more in leash reactivity so fear aggression um more and more into separation anxiety as well um so really getting into people's lives in a different way and helping them understand what their dog's dealing with um, whether it's anxiety or fear, and then helping them feel like there is hope. Um, and not everyone needs to know all the in-depth things about dog behavior and how their brain works, but um, it's really fun to see people get interested in that and kind of have that same light bulb moment that I had when they go, oh, I can totally communicate with my dog. Or, oh, I now understand my dog's doing this because they're scared or they're worried or they're unsure, not because they're trying to teach me a lesson, you know? They're so, getting even with me. Oh, no, not really. <laughs> right. So it's, it's meant a lot for me. Um, it's just been such a rewarding journey um, to get to work with people and their animals. Well, I love that you mentioned Fear Free as well, because I'm on the board, um, advisory board of Fear Free, and I think it's phenomenal. And, and I work with them to also do some courses with how to make the other end of the leash fear free, which is who you work with as well. Because sometimes it's the other end of the leash that doesn't um, get how to communicate with the dog. And I thought it was phenomenal when you said the clicker training, the light bulb went on in his head. He could communicate with me. I could communicate with him because we had this device. Now, I will say, as a, a person in my older years, uh, clicking and feeding at the same time, really a challenge, but one worth doing, I have to say, one worth learning. Don't give up. I was able to do it after about a year. So, you know, not that I'm a, a slow study, but um, walking into the gum. Yeah. And I tell my clients too, like if they start off with a clicker, and it's just too tough for them or they're, they're doing leash work at the same time and it's just like treats and clicks and who knows, you know. Um, I, I tell them there's nothing wrong with switching to a marker word. So I say, you know, instead of clicking the clicker, just say click, you know, and then the treat happens. And, and for a lot of people, that makes it easier. That's what they did for me because I was trainable too. I, I needed to find a new way to click without clicking because, as I said, walking and chewing gum is um, not really great. I, you know, I would love to have you back to talk a little bit more because I think the audience is going to be so enamored with how you approach dog training as a positive, preventative type of discussion as opposed to, you know, reactive and negative um, discussion because we can get really angry with our dogs when they tear the garbage up and we've had a bad day at work and we walk in the house. Oh my oh. God. 
you know, not that I've ever had that happen. Right. Me either. Ever. <laughs> I had, I had two birds dispatched by one of my dogs oh. while I was nine months pregnant and I walked in and feathers everywhere. And, and I just sat on the steps. I remember, and he came up to me and he said, I'm really sorry, mom. I just couldn't help myself. And I'm right. like, yes, I know you're a bird dog. And what was <laughs> I thinking? Having birds. However, they'd been there for a long time. They were there first. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would love if you would to come back. Now you are with Preventivet. So that's a group that's been doing so many phenomenal things for pet owners, as well as, you know, having you on board to help discuss training and, and preventive choices you make when you adopt a dog. But what else do you guys do? Because it's been such an interesting read for me to find out everything that Preventivet does. Yeah, so um, one of our big things is we have uh, 101 Essential Tips book series. So we have one for cat health and safety, and then we have dog health and safety and dog behavior and training, which is the newest of the three, um, which are great little tip books. I, I love this idea for my clients and for even as gifts to other pet owners because they're really easy to read quick tips that can save your dog or your cat's life. Um, and they're things that might seem obvious to to especially dog people like me, but I even learned some things when I first started here at Preventivet, I was reading through and I go, oh, good to know. <laughs> you know? And, and so even I didn't know some of those things and it's easy to slip through, um, have it out on your coffee table for people to see. A lot of vet clinics are providing them as well to their clients. Um, so we have that resource there. We also have preventivet.com, which has lots of um, accessible content. I love preventivet.com because yes. I just go there when I have a question Good. and you, you, you know, there's an answer. And if there isn't an answer, they also give you the opportunity to, you know, to try to stump us sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I always leave a comment with questions. I love those. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so we do that. And then um, if any of your listeners have questions, they can always shoot you an email or email me at PreventiveVet. Well, I'm going to put the uh, link at the bottom of the podcast, but you also have a podcast. We do. It's Pause and Play with Dr. J. You are going to be one of our guests coming up. That was such a fun podcast to do with you. I um, know. It's such a good out. time. Yep. Yeah. And those come out, you know, every two weeks or so. Um, so those are those are fun to listen to as well. Well, Kathy, I am so glad you're here. We're talking with Kathy Madsen from Preventivet. I'm so glad that you've taken the time. We're going to get back together again in a few weeks because I do want to explore um, what it took to be certified as fear-free uh, and also talk a little bit more about those books because, quite frankly, my son is moving into a new house that isn't in an apartment building and it has doors to the outside. Um, and I am so worried about my grandkitty, Jane. Yeah. So I'll be ordering one of those books after this podcast, as all the listeners should do too, because you never know too much. You really don't. Kathy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank and again, you for it's, prevent, it's preventive, T-I-V-E, vet, V-E-T dot com, so that you can really get to it. Perfect. Yes, preventivevet.com. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> And so we're going to wrap this podcast up, but don't forget to come back and listen to the next podcast in a week. This is Deborah Hamilton, and this is Why Do Pets Matter podcast. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter. This is Deborah Hamilton, and this podcast is my passion. Do you have a great guest or idea for a topic you'd like me to explore? Go to my website and click contact 
at Hamilton Law and Mediation. That's Hamilton Law, L-A-W, and A-N-D, Mediation, M-E-D-I-A-T-I-O-N.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. This is Deborah Hamilton thanking you for being here. <laughs>